The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with David Rachelson. He's the Vice President of Sustainability at Rubicon Global. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. So tell us what Rubicon Global is. Definitely. Rubicon is a technology company in the waste and recycling industry. Uh, we are largely driven by our mission to end waste. Uh, we're a certified benefit or B corporation, and so this mission is really in the DNA of our company, and we really try to live it every day. And the way that we do that is through a variety of technology products that help us support both the waste generator, big business, a large multinational company, small and medium business, the mom and pop on the corner, and and a exciting new or relatively new division around municipalities and smart cities. So we support those waste generators or businesses that are creating and having to deal with waste issues, the engine behind the ability to actually move the materials and find a more sustainable destination for them. Because mm-hmm, that's important. And uh, I love when technology comes together and uh, helps us deal with waste because it's a it's a big issue. And I don't think we had it uh, so much before plastic, um, but now it's it's presented different challenges. So I think that tech can help us in a number of ways. Do you have an example of of how you're working with smart cities or or tech? Yeah. So smart cities is a great example of, of how we're able to deploy tech. So we're in over 35 cities as of now. It's a relatively new business line for Rubicon, but one that is growing very quickly. A great example is the city that I'm sitting in today, which is the city of Atlanta. We have deployed our technology products into every waste and recycling Department of Solid Works vehicles in the city of Atlanta. And the technology does a few things for the city. So on a operational side, it helps the city understand the vehicle health. So are vehicles being utilized properly? Are there necessary repairs that could be undertaken to help extend the life of that asset? It also helps with customer responsiveness. And, and what that means is our technology plugs in with the 311 or service system for the city and allows those representatives to respond more quickly to the needs of citizens asking about issues related to their waste and recycling service. And then on the environmental side, more specifically, it helps gather an immense amount of data related to recycling participation, recycling contamination. And what that does is it allows cities to better micro-target education outreach efforts to the specific needs of that resident. And oh, so, as, yeah, so so those are just a few examples of, of how the technology is really helping in the municipal realm. And many of those elements also are being deployed on the private sector side as well. 
Well, it's great to hear that you're working with the communication aspect because sometimes that can be the biggest challenge. You can set up a wonderful recycling program, but if nobody is participating, then how are you going to move it forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the other fundamental aspects of uh, what I spend a lot of time on is the knowledge and education aspects around around helping to reduce contamination and increase the proper source separation. And so that is, as you know, and I imagine um, it's more and more common now with the news around the recycling crisis that is plaguing a lot of uh, Western countries. Mm-hmm. The one way that citizens and, and businesses can really participate is by thinking through how to properly sort materials at the source. If something that could be recycled goes into, let's say, a landfill bin, then it really essentially loses that opportunity to be put back into a circular system. And vice versa, if something that should not go in a recycling bin goes into the recycling bin, then that can contaminate that load and cause issues related to the quality and the demand for that commodity output. So the the citizens and, and businesses and residents have a lot of power when it comes to controlling and, and being a direct player in solving this problem. Mm-hmm. And contamination can be as simple as someone has a smoothie in a plastic cup and then doesn't rinse it out, right? That's correct. Yeah. It, it can be as simple as that or... For instance, if, if a plastic bag or plastic film is not accepted um, in the local municipality, which is very common, that's not in the curbside bin, then that can be another form of contamination and it can jam the equipment, et cetera. And so there's a lot of effort in, in how do you really solve the problem at the source. And it also goes into areas such as source reduction, so and and sustainable procurement so eliminating some of these more challenging products and or single use items at the source so that they don't even enter into the the equation mm-hmm. i mean and, and an example of of how we've done that i mean and it's just a very real example since it's in the office of, of which i'm taking this this call is we eliminated all of our disposable cutlery, flatware, cups, and went to Salvation Army and got some durable goods. Oh, good. Thank all, you. That's all we use. That's yeah. all it takes, right? That's all it takes. That's, <laughs> that's right. And and we translated that into some, some numbers related to the benefit that that has. Both It saved us money, first of all, and it also had a uh, an environmental output as well um, that was very positive. Mm-hmm. So, David, companies come to you and approach you and ask if you can help them deal with their waste? Yes. There's different layers to how we how we operate. So there is a fundamental need that businesses have, which is to have their the massive amounts of waste and recycling and compost and other items hauled and picked up in a very customer-driven, customer-service-driven, and operationally efficient way. So that is really kind of the the basic level, the the foundation, which is we provide the the hauling services through our our network of haulers Mm -hmm. for businesses, 
But what we do beyond that is we work with them to help achieve um, zero waste solutions. So mm-hmm. looking at, at items to help them really divert more and more materials. And, and then thirdly, uh, we are now focused a lot on the circular economy. So going from the fundamentals of just the, the nuts and bolts, the operational excellence related to hauling materials to helping companies achieve zero waste solutions and, and achieving that 90 plus percent diversion rate to now really focusing on circular solutions and circular economy activities related to finding upcycle, reuse, or reduction solutions for materials and helping to really bring to life the circular economy. So are there companies that have brought to you a specific challenge that's been very difficult? For example, I know in Canada here, coffee cups are a big challenge because they have that little plastic layer on the paper. So that's not something that typically can be accepted. So is there is there a challenge that you can think of that you've uh, you've worked with a company to overcome? Yeah. Yeah, no, and that and that is a certainly a a topic of of great conversation. Uh and there's the next gen cup challenge out there. But one topic that comes to mind is we were working with a quick service restaurant who had a lot of latex gloves which their workers used during Ooh. the pre- preparation of the food. Mm-hmm. And this is a very difficult material to recycle or find um some type of a extended life. But we worked with this company to convert those latex gloves into bags, trash and recycling bags that they could then use um, going forward. So this was an example of how we took an item that had little or no value and extended the life of those items into a product that would have normally required some type of a of a virgin material input and some heavy environmental impacts related to the production of it and helped extend that life of that material to another another phase. Well, that's so good because my cousin's a dentist. I think I've mentioned this before. And he says he goes through about 80 pairs of those gloves a day. And that's just one dentist. And then when we think about all our medical professionals and, you know, they need to have gloves to protect themselves and protect us, right? Um, so Absolutely. And that's, that's actually a great um, idea that, that just came up on this call that we could look into as well related to applying this solution to the medical profession because, mm-hmm. uh, to your point, in addition to food preparation, they are a huge uh, user of these latex gloves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a problem, but it's something that we need. Usually, I try not to kind of touch medical waste, like in terms of zero waste stuff, because I I think that there is a a place for single use plastics and for things to be thrown out. But I think we're doing it way too much. And so it's a very good thing to try to find solutions. And And food is is kind of one where we can get around it by bringing our own containers and our own water bottles. And just like you did, you know, go to the Salvation Army and get, get real plates well, and forks, right? It's really good to hear. Well, and what's interesting is there's been a lot of developments in the field of chemical recycling. And that is where it takes plastics and breaks it down to their to the monomer or the the petroleum that created the plastic in the first place. But the reason I bring this up is because for purposes related to medical or food contaminated plastics, um, a lot of times this chemical recycling solution can handle that contamination 
um, in a way that some of the other more traditional uh, recycling for plastics are unable to due to that contamination. Yeah, I read by Tom Zaki in one of his books that technically it is possible to recycle diapers, dirty diapers, but it involves gamma radiation and like a pretty crazy process because you have to you have to sanitize these things and it's just it's crazy so nobody would ever do it. Yeah, no, that's right. And and that's kind of the I think that's one of the main reasons, the example you just gave and some of these others, that a lot of the zero-waste certification bodies allow 90% to achieve full certification of zero-waste. But I think as technology advances, that their solutions will be created and are already being created for uh, some of these very difficult material types. Mm-hmm. Rather than just... Burying it, I hope, or or burning it, which a, a lot Correct. of cities do. Correct. Innovation is happening every day, and I think that one of the silver linings or cup half full view of the recycling crisis is that uh, there's a lot of introspection, certainly in domestic markets, about how to handle their own supply of materials. And so I think it's causing a lot of innovation to happen. You know, we talk regularly with startups who are looking to solve these problems through creating reusable systems for quick service restaurants to using plastic items to create apparel to using um, certain byproducts of compost to create um, fuel through anaerobic digestion. So I think that there's a lot of innovation out there, and hopefully what that will do is mean that in addition to the importance that recycling holds within our society, there will be other circular opportunities that are scalable uh, in addition to recycling that really can start to help handle in a more circular way some of these uh, challenges related to waste generation. Mm-hmm. There's just so much to deal with, but it's exciting to see that companies are looking into it. David, let's talk about you for a little bit, though, because I read that you won an award in Davos, Switzerland. So it was the Circular Economy Digital Disruptor Award. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Yes. And, and um, actually, the company won it, but I had the privilege to accept it on behalf of the company at the 2017 World Economic Forum. Cool. And essentially what that uh, award was was for was part of this this great initiative called the Circulars, and it awards different sectors of the economy and and the value chain related to their contribution to the circular economy. And Rubicon won in the digital disruptor category, and I think the reason that we won was because the technology that we are deploying has really helped bring circular economy opportunities to businesses and parts of the country that were not exposed to it before. And so through our platform and through our solutions, we've been able to help the small and medium business have access to circular economy and um, more sustainable waste solutions, as well as uh, really being able to deploy in a more efficient and scalable way for both cities and, and large businesses. So it was a, it was an immense honor for the company and and a 
equally immense privilege for me to be able to accept that award on behalf of the company. Well, congrats to everybody involved in your company. You know, one thing I kind of don't understand is, you know, there, there's the ethics behind properly getting rid of your waste and reducing it. But of course, we know that businesses have a bottom line. And in Canada, it's quite cheap to get rid of garbage because we have lots of land. There's lots of landfills. We have lots of places to put it, kind of unfortunately, I guess. Um, so how how do you get people interested in paying more if that's something that they they have to do to remove their waste properly? Is it is it basically just based on ethics? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's very similar in the United States. Uh, it, it varies, obviously, by region. But, you know, land is plentiful. And a lot of the economics of, of both recycling and waste all resolve around the landfill price in a certain market. Um, so it is certainly a, a challenge that exists. But I think there's a few ways that this will eventually change. So I think one is that the business community is taking an enormous leadership role in demanding that their operations become zero waste to landfill. Um, this has had, this started notably in 2005 when Walmart declared that they wanted to become zero waste to landfill by 2025. And there oh. are countless other businesses that uh, are demanding that. So hmm. there is business leadership that is demanding, you know, non-landfill solutions. Secondly, consumers are also really driving the dialogue around more sustainable uses for their waste and recycling. And so businesses are are listening and Good. are wanting to be receptive to the needs of these consumers. And then thirdly, there are at least in the United States, increasing number of local regulations that ban more and more materials from landfills or that equally require recycling and composting solutions for businesses. So I think these three really powerful societal forces, business, consumer, and regula regulation or regulatory, are all leading towards the circular economy. And so I think it's up to businesses like Rubicon and, and um, advocates like yourself to help drive this momentum and really start to gain that traction away from what is the landfill model and, and everything that is based around that today. Good. So it's business, it's consumers, and it's uh, regulation. So that's a very good uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but these three kind of pillars that are are pushing the movement because sometimes we think that businesses, all they care about is money, but you know, that's not always true. Uh, it is very important, obviously, for a business to survive, um, but that's good to hear. And it also is well, good and to- one other, I mean, so what yeah. we try to do at Rubicon is we work with our businesses uh, very closely to try to deliver a cost-neutral or better solution uh, as they divert more and more materials. And mm -hmm. so there are there are a lot of complexities into that, but I mean, it, at a high level, if you reduce something that's going to a landfill and you increase something that uh, is recycled or reduced at the source, then if you do the math and you, you really look at that equation, there are still ways to be cost competitive as you 
do the right thing and recycle more. And so yeah. that is one of the fundamental pillars of, of our business and, and why we are a B Corp. And so that's something we look at regularly. Well, if we look at, for example, the plates and forks that you you guys bought, um, I would think that the cost savings would add up pretty quickly because on one side, you've got paper plates that you need to buy, plastic cutlery, you need to maybe buy plastic cups over and over. And those things might be cheap, but if you go 10 years down the road and add up the cost of all that versus the cost you spend at the Salvation Army to get those plates, you know, there there is a a spot where it's going to cross over and and benefit the company, right? So I I I sometimes wonder when I go into businesses that are still serving things on garbage, and I think, you know, where is that cost savings point, and how do we how do we communicate it to them that it exists? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and actually, to your point, the math we did uh, when we when we implemented this program, we estimated that we diverted on. Two, two office floors, 474 pounds of, of waste from the landfill per month no. by switching from these paper cups and individual creamer packets to reuse Salvation Army coffee mugs and glasses. No. Um, and we also saved about close to $4,000 a year uh, doing that. And wow. so you're, you're exactly right that there are still really positive solutions that exist uh, today. And I think that um, some of the innovation that I was referring to earlier that, that we're doing, as well as some of the, the startups that are really proliferating as of late, will continue to drive the cost down for, for recycling, reusing, upcycling, reducing, as it relates to the landfill. Mm-hmm. I hope so. and, and, and really, small steps can, can have big impacts. Yeah. And and that's really what we focus on. Yeah, absolutely. So why why are you so into sustainability? Like, when did this start? Did it start when you were young? It actually did. So in when I was eight years old, I set out with some neighbors in my um, neighborhood in Memphis, Tennessee, to pick up cans on our street and take those cans uh, to the local processing facility. This was before trucks and cities provided that service. And then we gave that uh, the proceeds to to a nonprofit, to some nonprofits in the environmental space. And so nice. um, we called ourselves the Rad Recyclers, which <laughs> cool. we thought was a pretty cool term in the late eighties. And um and it was it was really exciting. And it's interesting because, you know, my mom had reminded me about this effort and kind of jogged my memory. And really pointed out and that, that I've come full circle, uh, no pun intended, as, as what I'm doing today at Rubicon, but on a much greater scale. And so, um, there's been so many advances, but, but what's really interesting about this first entry into sustainability was that it still goes back to the neighborhood. It still goes back to the local community and it still requires citizens and neighbors to, to help. You know, when I was doing this in the late 80s, people bagged their cans and took them somewhere. Now, the responsibility is for us to recycle properly. And there's that saying that all politics is local. And in in our industry, it is equally as local when it comes to recycling and the regulations that exist at such a micro level. There it could be one town could have a different rule than the next town. So 
So, so citizens and businesses can really be ambassadors, and, and to, if, if they take a few minutes to educate themselves um, by looking at, at their local regulations, there's a lot of opportunity um, if we take this really micro approach to really creating some, some really positive macro change. Mm-hmm. So with all of your conversations that you've had with different businesses and different cities and the hauling companies, do you think there's one common problem that connects them all? Yes. I think right now, uh, and I think, you know, you had alluded to it and, and we've discussed it some on the call, there's a lot of focus right now on the recycling industry. And so I think right now, every business, every city, every consumer, um, every resident is trying to understand how they can solve this problem. And there isn't necessarily one solution for each of these mm-hmm. different sectors, yeah. but but the overarching theme is that people can really be a positive contributor to the solution if they learn how to recycle properly, if they learn how to separate properly and really get to the fundamentals. And we set up a program called the Rubicon Method, which is a six-step guide and, and approach to, to helping businesses, residents, um, really anyone learn how to set up a successful waste reduction and recycling program. And, and our whole think, thought process behind the Rubicon method was to double click or to provide one layer deeper of specificity to the tried and true reduce, reuse, recycle mantra and, and just start to apply some specifics around how to actually do those three things in a way that will be successful. So I think the one common theme across all sectors right now is we've been hearing, we've been seeing, or we've even been experiencing ourselves that this recycling crisis, how can we help? And so there's a great opportunity, I think, for zero waste advocates and sustainability professionals right now to harness this interest to really drive positive change. I know there's a frustration sometimes in the zero waste world that companies don't care. So I think it's it's uh, very uplifting to hear from you that companies do care. There are a lot of companies that are looking for solutions and that it is on their radar. Absolutely. I think you're, you're right. And I think that slowly but surely, uh, businesses are taking more of a leadership role and consumers are certainly interested in this topic and governments, municipalities are responding by introducing positive regulations related to regulating what can go into a landfill or what shouldn't and mm-hmm. also how people should or, or the access that, that businesses and, and consumers should have to recycling. And then also like how we can reduce it in the first place from ever being created, right? I think that's an important that's right. part. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. And looking at the sustainable procurement and sourcing and source reduction is, is very important, certainly as it relates to food waste. That's one of the most uh, important aspects. It's the number one thing you do on the EPA food waste reduction hierarchy, and um, that should apply for all waste that's generated. And, and ultimately, I mean, as you indicated, as, as this convener of, of thought leaders in this area, info sharing 
is is so important and it's it's actually a source of power to really help help kind of create this this uh, momentum that can really catalyze some significant change. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this idea, like, what if giant coffee companies, if they just introduced to their staff to say for here to go again, because I've noticed that that's something that big coffee chains don't say anymore. So I know right. that certain companies have cups. And then I look around at everybody who's sitting down at them and they all have the garbage cups because nobody's asked them if they're going to stay. So I think you could probably save millions of cups if you just reintroduce, you know, that little sentence. Well, and that's a that's an example of kind of the the some of these small steps that can have a big impact. It's small and, and it's free, right? Well, I mean, if they already have the cups, it's free. That's right. Yeah, and maybe yeah, and you're right. That's and there are so many ideas like that out there, and it's it's just catalyzing those ideas um, into action. Yeah, and sometimes that's the the tricky part. But it seems like that's that's a big part of what Rubicon. Global does is is put these ideas into action. That that's right. That's what we're and that's more, increasingly more of what we're focused on as it relates to the circular economy and and that 3.0 that I had mentioned uh, beyond some of the zero waste um, activities related to the circular economy. And so there is a lot of the uh, of, of that innovation that's happening, and I think more of it needs to happen. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us. I think that this is uh, really enlightening. I'm so happy to hear that you're working on this and that it's been something you've done since you were little. I was I was one of those people picking up trash when I was little, too. <laughs> I guess <laughs> something that, that we it's have in, in our, common. It's in our DNA. It, even whether or not we knew it at the time, it's, it's in our <laughs> DNA. My mom used to get um, mad because she'd say, well, what do you want me to do with all this stuff when I'd bring her garbage home? <laughs> That I'd pick up off the side of the road. <laughs> so, and there you go. Those are the small steps. And, and look, and now, you know, we're both in positions to have a, a much bigger influence on it. And that's exciting. It is. It's so great. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids are going to be into it as well. Uh, I think a lot of kids are quite woke to what's going on. And uh, I have a lot of good hope for for the next generations that are coming after us. Um, for I world. agree completely with that sentiment. And, and I think that's a hundred percent correct that, um, you know, kids, they, they're sponges. And if, if we can help them understand through a variety of means, through schools, through, uh, organizations like the national wildlife federation to help empower them to, to really be the change for the future. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, this has been great. This was a a lot of fun, and thank you for inviting me, and thank you for keeping this podcast going and and bringing on people that can help uh, provide some of the knowledge sharing and ideas that are so critical right now. So thank you again. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. That's awesome. That was David Rachelson, Vice President of Sustainability at Rubicon Global. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean, you can find me on Patreon, or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. 
Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. 